Greetings, constant listeners. It's your boy, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman. What you're about to hear is a clip from our exclusive Patreon book episode on Stephen King's new novel, Billy Summers. How do you hear the full thing? Become a librarian over at our Patreon. You can find a link in the description of this episode, or you can visit www.patreon.com slash the barons. Hope to see you there over long days and pleasant nights. I mean, we always talk about the history when we talk about books. I mean, obviously, there's not much to say. It just came out, published by Scribner on August 3rd, 2021. It was first mentioned by Stephen King in an NPR interview in April of 2020, where he discussed having to change the story from taking place in 2020 to 2019 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Any interview that you read with him, he tells that story. Um, You can tell he's getting older because he's like, he's, he's only got room for kind of a couple anecdotes when he's talking about books. And one of them is that but, um uh he couldn't he couldn't have the book set during 2020 because the scene where the upstairs neighbors go on the cruise wouldn't happen. And that was a very important thing that needed to happen. <laughs> he tells that story at about like 14 interviews that I read. Um, but there were also some other really good quotes um, that I got from him talking about this book. I'd say the best interview that he did about this book was in Esquire. Mm, um, yeah. He actually opened up quite a bit on it. So uh, the origins of the story, he told Esquire, he said, with Billy Summers, the first thing for me was this. I saw a man in a basement apartment looking out a window like a periscope and seeing feet go by in the sidewalk i played with that for a while what's this guy doing here why is he there what does it all mean after playing with that for a while i thought of this same guy in an office building on the fifth or sixth floor of a building near a courthouse what's he doing there well he's gonna shoot somebody he's gonna shoot a bad guy uh those two things started to connect i thought to myself he's going to shoot this bad guy and then he's going to hide out in this basement apartment where all the legs are going by Those two things, little by little, spun into the whole story. That doesn't always happen with me, but with this one it did, and I got a book out of it. For me, the real fun was this. I'm thinking of this guy in in this office building, and he's going to take the shot. I saw the angle of the shot very clearly. I thought to myself, well, how's he going to get out of there? Before I started the book, that was really the, the place where I was stuck. But I was still having fun thinking about it. Little by little, I got an idea of how he might escape. Then I thought to myself, well, you've got to have some kind of story around these two images. That's when I started to think about What if this guy uh, is going to shoot a really bad guy and he's being played? Then I thought of the famous last job. These are so uh, there are so many movies about the last job, which always goes wrong. I said to myself, why don't you play into that and write this story as a hard boiled noir? That's the sort of thing I like to read or I like to read when I was younger. Books by Jim Thompson and Elmore Leonard. And off I went. So um, that was to me interesting. Uh, You know, and I think that's the thing with King's process is like. It's not that remarkable, you know, mm-hmm. it's like uh, he's just like, I thought of a man in a basement and then, you know, it kind mm-hmm. of spins out from there. And I think that's sort of, you know, when writing novels is in your blood as much as it is for him, uh, you know, I think it's it's a pretty simple process. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I make the <laughs> I make the joke impersonation of him as David Lynch all the time. <laughs> but say that in the the voice of Lynch and it's literally like the same type of mentality, you know, like the idea of him, like I saw a man in a basement apartment looking out a window and feet go by like that sort of, that does sound like Lynch. Yeah. It's like the seeds. Like when he talks about fishes of an idea, like that's literally how I feel like, like Lynch comes up with bigger stories. Like with blue velvet, he's like, I saw a naked woman on the streets and that actually ties back to his like own personal backstory of growing up. But it's like, he does start with these abstract images and build upon that world. And it's kind of cool to see 
you know, we always joke around, like people always asking the dumb question of like, how do you get your ideas or whatever? But like you read this and you can see how he gets his ideas. He just keeps pulling threads. And mm -hmm. you see that certainly in Billy Summers. Like I was saying in my review for Bloody Disgusting, like I think this is his most actionable novel. And it's because I think he's just, you can tell he's just having so much fun building this world, pulling the thread, building this world, pulling the thread. And for mm -hmm. us, it's really fun to read. And like, I was kind of shocked at that. Like, because... Not to say that his books aren't always page turners, but sometimes like you find there's the rare, you know, when you're with a good Stephen King book, when you didn't realize that, like 60 or 80 pages went by in an hour. And yeah. like that yeah. is, that's like, that's why I realized with like 1122, yeah. that's why I realized with Under the Dome. And, and honestly, like that's kind of what I, with, with a lot of parts of If It Bleeds last year, but like when that rare moment happens and obviously we have that in like the first run of like the seventies and eighties. It's just, it's, it's a magical thing without being, mm -hmm. you know, too hallmark about it. But yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I really enjoyed getting to read this because it's been a while since I've sat down and like read a novel that I haven't read before. I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks, Um, and I just, I, I did, I had that sensation of like falling into the story and like time, you know, like I, I was like, Oh shit, how am I, I didn't leave myself enough time to read this. What's going to happen. And then I just read it like so quickly and it just gave me that feeling that I used to get when I was younger and would read a novel, you know, like, so when he, he's still got that magic baby. Yeah, mm -hmm. he does. He really does. And well, and the, the thing that reminded me so much of eleven twenty two sixty three, and why I think this is so like full of life is because there's the ticking clock, and it's really like the story is really simple. It's just like I have to go back and shoot someone. Um, basically, yeah, both stories like revolve around shooting a person or stopping a shooting, but he has to get there so much earlier. So it's like him just allowing these characters to be characters, and I think King is so good at just doing that and letting yes. the story come out, which is why we get such a beautiful story. And I think this one does, you're right, has a lot of action because it's not the end goal of the book, mm -hmm. you know? Once that happened, what's that, uh, 120 pages in? It's like, yeah. well, shit, where are we going right, now? Right, right. You know? Yeah, like you were saying, like the, the sandbox that he gives himself and when he has that time and, mm -hmm. you know, he has, a, he has an end goal. And, but then he's like, all right, well, let's going to scale back and I'm going to have some time to kind of develop the area. I mean, he's been doing that since fucking Salem's Lot. So like, mm -hmm. it's so, you know, it's all muscle memory to him. And I, I just love when he does that. Like the, the weight is some of the best parts. Like sometimes like with authors, that could be just the most atrocious thing, especially in like shows. Like I'm watching, <laughs> I'm watching The Walking Dead right now and I'm on like <laughs> oh, season God. eight, but like, you know, everyone complained about you know, the parts where like, well, nothing's happening. They're just sitting around and, and yada, yada, yada. But like, you know, one of the things I love about those moments is that like, it gives chances to like, A, kind of dig into the character, kind of have these interactions that you don't necessarily get when things are so like point A to point B, point C to point D. So I don't know. I, I appreciate when King has that time and he certainly does here. And that's honestly what hooks you in more than the actual hook itself. So mm -hmm. that's definitely one of his strengths is just, vividly bringing all these little secondary characters to life and the details of of the setting and this is a setting that feels at once like so mundane and familiar and um so like so connected to the themes of the story at the same time which is not an easy thing to pull off um i don't know i just was really i bought it hook line and sinker mm -hmm. yeah like I think about the Institute, which was a book I didn't love, but it opens, the Institute opens with um, a guy, you know, basically who's uh, running from away from his past and he kind of, you know, hops on a train, hops off at a random town, walks in, 
And then it's like the first like 50 pages are just about this guy building a life there. Like he mm-hmm. uh, gets a job. He mm-hmm. meets a girl. Uh, he gets an apartment. It's just and then he makes friends. And like and then I like that better than like literally everything that oh, followed. Same. Because yeah. that that process yeah. of of building relate. King's so good at building relationships, building a town and showing how you I don't know. It's like this idyllic idea of like starting over somewhere, you know. Which is a really sweet idea, like Billy has it here, where it's like you move into a place where you don't know anybody, and it's that sort of ideal vision of because I think Mike and I joked about like nobody talks to their neighbors anymore. No, <laughs> so it's like uh, I can't handle it's it. just funny to I know. <laughs> well, Jen maybe does. Um, I literally moved on to this street. Like I would like my neighbors will just come over with beer and we'll hang out. They're like, hey, you want to come grill? And then we like played like some. Dungeons and Dragons type game the other night like yeah that doesn't oh, happen very often but that's that sweet is though I love it is that. sweet yeah. yeah it's amazing yeah I'd say in the alt in our ultimate uh siloed narcissistic culture that kind of thing is <laughs> very rarely happens anymore but it is an anomaly yes. but it exists in this in the way it exists in King's world is so it's so like you can see the pull you can see like the the um I don't know like the temptation to want to like stay and exist in that world and keep building it yeah. um so uh, writing is a big part of Billy Summers, um, the process of writing, which I think is going to keep happening. I mean, King's always been obsessed with writing writers, but I think, as, I don't know, I, I feel like as he gets older, he's going to be even more reflective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wonder if this is going to be sort of a common theme is like people, uh, you know, asking themselves what writing is for them personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Billy is this person who is a new writer and he kind of discovers this uh, self-actualization within that. Um, and uh, so this is what King said about it. I didn't really know that there was going to be so much about writing in this book. You go where the book takes you mostly. And here's the other thing. There are books that I've written where writing is seen as a sort of toxic thing. And there are only a couple. Misery is one. And Billy Summers is another where it talks about writing as salvation. You don't have to be a professional writer to know that that's the case sometimes. It's a doorway into your own feelings and your own view of the world. So that's a good thing. And I think that that's a really good point. The idea that like, you know, writing isn't always this uh, solve to people in uh, his books. A lot of times it's something that channels their darkness like in the dark half you know um it's something that uh can lead them to destruction and um but yeah it's true that in this one it's very much um you know a self-actualization sort of thing well i was just gonna say like you know there's these two central characters who are sort of discovering writing for the first time through this this inciting series of events and it's somebody sort of at the end of their life and somebody at the beginning mm-hmm. and they both find writing as like the key to um, either, you know, closing the book on their life or opening mm-hmm. the door to it. And I just thought that that was really touching and it sort of elevated, you know, cause as soon as I was like, Oh, we're going to get another King book where there's a bunch of like a novel within a novel or what have you. And, you know, um, but I thought it thematically worked really well. So it, I, I enjoyed it. It's uh, you know, it's interesting because, you know, when he initially said, <laughs> well, your covers are writer. I literally just like guffawed and I like texted Randall. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like uh-huh. he's doing the writer thing again. Uh-huh. But like the thing that's great about it is that like, that's where he really does mine the most pathos out of his work here, because mm-hmm. there are two things this novel gives me that is just like, Oh, you know, what do they call it? Chef's kiss, whatever that fucking thing is. But <laughs> like the thing is they have the Shane arc, which is like the Logan arc where you have like the, you know, the veteran that has to protect his like, you know, the pseudo daughter figure in a way 
which I love. I love I love those arcs. I love those stories. Logan is one of my favorite movies of all time, actually. I just love it. And I think he does a really good job with that, uh, that arc here um, because he gets some great characterization. But the fact that he overlays that with something he's also familiar with, which is the idea of writing... But the way that he talks about writing here isn't so much just like the practice of it and, you know, the in getting in the weeds of it. It's almost like the spiritual mortality or immortality of writing. And that mm-hmm. and I think that comes in. There's a confessional tone that comes from that that speaks to it's almost like, you know, Billy and Alice is almost like his relationship to, you know, the reader. And, mm-hmm. you know, those that he might inspire him, those that he that, that he might have touched or connected with. And for me, that is where I started, like, it like really hit my heart because he's coming at it at a confessional tone. And I think a lot of it probably is emblematic of the last year where we've, we've been stuck inside. and We've been able to meditate with a lot of these thoughts. And that, well, the end is for all of us, but like he's going yeah. to live on through his texts. And I think that's why you know, it's so important that like he revisits like some of his own touchstones that he has in here. Like that's why I I talk Mm -hmm. about in my review, but like he hits on everything that he does here, you know, like Mm -hmm. that he's done in the past. Like there's flourishes of Bachman. There's, you know, the horror, there's the thriller element, there's the drama. And I found it really symbolic for him to do, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, but like his connections to like Sidewinder, like there's a lot of metaphorical allusions to like what King's saying about his own work and his own life Mm-hmm. in those moments that hit me so hard that gives so much more agency to the tropey elements of it that he has. And I, I don't know, that's, that, to me, that was the best part of this book for me. That's the reason why I'm, I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, um, I completely nice. agree. Yeah, it feels like writing as like, because it's autobiographical writing, so I kind of mm-hmm. look at it as like finding the words to tell your own story, you know, and because a lot of this book, I think, is about like healing from trauma. And I think that's really what connects Alice and Billy in a lot of ways. And like by the fact of him writing his story, she is empowered to write her own. Um, And even though she doesn't, we don't see her actually do that yet. Like she finishes his and she like starts to tell her story and she like slowly kind of tells what happened to her. And, like, I loved that it's two untrained writers, too, because mm-hmm. it's like I've never had any kind of formal writing and training. And so, like, I, and but the first thing I ever wrote about was a Stephen King book. And so, like, in the way that I feel like Alice is getting this power in figuring out how to use words to unpack things, that's what I feel like I get from Stephen King just in general. I'm reading books, like, on writing um, and figuring out what, what could be my process and saying, well, I can do this. You know, that's... It's just so it was beautiful to see this story kind of told in this way because it's like leaving a legacy behind. And like how many totally. people like Alice are writing now because they read Stephen King, you know, it, yeah. it really it got to me for those same reasons. Because mm-hmm. yeah. it's like that's just I mean, you know, reading Stephen King when I was such a little girl and a lot of things, you know, his contemporaries and, and horror movies and stuff. That was what made me want to be a writer and filmmaker. And, um, you know, toward the end, it was like when Alice rewrote the ending um, Mm -hmm. and and it was like in the, in the pages of the book, it can happen Mm -hmm. any way I want it to. And it made me think of that part of like Blair Witch Project that always gets to me where like somebody takes the camera away from Heather, who's Mm -hmm. like the main character filming the whole thing. And he's like, Oh, I see why you like this. Is it puts uh, a barrier between you and reality. It sort of mediates reality in a way and like the creative process, whether whatever it is that you're making 
is your way of mediating reality and, and reshaping the narrative of your life and the things that happen to you in it, whether, you know, in this case, traumatic, and I have my own experiences with, with trauma um, that I found myself relating to these characters a lot, even though my traumas are perhaps a little less dramatic. Um, I, I just found it really beautiful. Like it was like almost like he started writing this kind of genre thriller and stumbled into sort of literary fiction, which mm-hmm. is kind of Billy's character too. <laughs> yeah. Know, was his obsession yeah. with literary fiction. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just, I really, I thought it was pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Um, fun, a couple other fun quotes, uh, that he offered up in Rolling Stone. He, they asked him who would play Billy if, uh, you know, the inevitable movie. Um, <laughs> and he suggested Jake Gyllenhaal, who he calls one of the most underrated actors working right now, which I think is, I don't know. I don't think he's really underrated. I think he's very good, but I think yeah. he is celebrated at a point, uh, that suits his talent. <laughs> he doesn't, yes. he doesn't bathe though. So, you know, yeah, um, that's the new thing is him not yeah. bathing. It's all he's I could filthy. think about. I love that yeah. people people say it's like a psyop uh, to help prepare us for like uh, know, climate yeah. climate disaster and that we're gonna have to use less water. So the celebrities are all saying like, "Well, I never shower." So yeah, yeah no, um, when they, when it's they like, take I'm them to hot the- and I can still get girls to go out with me, so I don't care. Yeah, that just seems like I I became rich enough to be able to get away with not bathing. (laughs) I have some tinfoil hat about this because there's been rumors right Mm. now that uh, Jake is supposed to be, Jake Gyllenhaal is supposed to be playing uh, Ben Mears. In, uh, no, not Pigpen. <laughs> yeah, Pigpen. <laughs> yeah, Pigpen. Uh, just to be a cloud of smoke around Jake Gyllenhaal at this point, just like in the Peanuts cartoon. Love Charles Schultz. Um, but uh, I, I feel like if it, if those rumors are true, um, I wonder if King has a hook in there and then he's kind of kind of like thinking like, think of him as a writer because yeah. he might be Ben Mears or whatever, which, hey, I'd love Jake Gyllenhaal as a Ben Mears. I actually saw Billy as older in like a Thomas Jane, but I always see Thomas oh. Jane, so... You know. I saw him a little older back, you know. also. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, I'm not sure exactly how old Jake Gyllenhaal is now, but he may be old enough. But in my head, he's always like young, you know, yeah. <laughs> like this yeah. is yeah. just dating me. So, yeah, I just saw the entire cast from Barry, basically. Ooh, <laughs> I can tell <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah, Bill Hader as Billy Summer. <laughs> Actually, Bill Hader would probably do well at this, but he probably would. It's so close yeah. to Barry at that point. So he'd probably yeah. be like, ah, I'm, I'm already playing <laughs> a sniper. I don't know. Just make it the third season. Yeah, yeah, you should. <laughs> That'd be hilarious if it was like, you know, we had two, uh, seasons three and four set out for Barry that we wrote during the pandemic, but we g- got to say we love this King book. And <laughs> right. I think, season, I think th- season three is just going to be Billy Summers. Like, you know. Barry Summers. <laughs> um, funny. Another fun uh, thing is uh, the Teddy Bears Picnic song. Uh, they ended up having to pay through the ass for that song because uh, – uh, Stephen King said, Rolling Stone, he goes, God, who knew that was copyright protected? I thought it was too old to be, but we had to pay through the nose to get that. Once you're in it, you're stuck. I had an epigram from Judas Priest, and it was a song called uh, You Got Another Thing Coming for Duma Key. And they came back and said they wanted $50,000 plus royalties. And I said, <laughs> I said, fuck that shit. That's not going to happen. <laughs> so I made us a dog roll of my own instead. Uh, but Teddy's Picnic was pretty much baked into the book before we discovered that. So we paid. That is so, wild. So some yeah. teddy bear is uh, is rolling in dough right now. Having a fancy the, picnic. The, the teddy bear air. Yeah. <laughs> I will say my day job, I have to clear a lot of stuff through public domain, and it is a pain in the ass, and it's I really hard it. to figure out. Oh, I didn't know. It's I didn't like know proving that, a negative. Oh, yeah. I, actually, I'm going to yeah. consult with you then, because we've that, that there's been some <laughs> very scary moments that I've had in the past where I'm like, this actually oh, yeah. kind of this actually scares me more than a lot of stuff in the, the book, because... Um, <laughs> I didn't realize that's a huge case where you can, that happens. Yeah. Like, I mean, mm. 
that's yeah. weird. That's that's odd. It's like that's- trying to prove a negative to find if something is or is not in public domain. It's like that information may be out there. You just got to find it. And it's yeah. That's why everyone just like uses it. Night of Living Dead in movies now. It's exactly. Like, right, yeah. Well, here we what, go. You confirmed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I'll talk a little bit about the critical reception of the book because uh, the reviews are out. Um, and they're mostly pretty positive. Uh, the Guardian said, It meanders. It pays only the scantest regard to the rules of narrative structure. It indulges gladly in both casual stereotyping and naked political point scoring. And it's his best book in years. Like 112263, the first half is pedestrian in pace, but rich in color and characterization. King has always excelled at sketching every man's U- uh, U.S., enriching the details into a minor epic register. It's what elevates him above his genre peers, and it's uh, and it's in full force here. I agree. Um, Seems fair. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, Associated Press says the plot is straightforward and not really very compelling until about the midway point, which I disagree with. Uh, When Alice Maxwell enters the story, her story reveals a compassionate side to Billy and flips a switch in the narrative. She gives him a new purpose as an avenging hitman while serving as an eager audience for Billy's life story. I will say this book went from like 60 to 120 for me when Alice came in. Um, oh, yeah. I, was, I mm-hmm. thought it was still compelling, but when Alice enters the fold, I was like, okay, I'm in. Like really, really in at this point. Like, and that was, yeah. I feel like I was kind of flipping faster. Um, I wasn't I wasn't honestly sure about the entrance of Alice into this because I really thought it was going to go down a different road um, of like yeah. <laughs> sort of patriarchal, like, you know, let me help you, little girl, ra- yeah. you know, rape, revenge kind of thing. But, like, I, he does, to my surprise, manage to, Alice kind of comes into her own as a character with her own arc sort of in the last, I would say, the last third of the book. But there was this part in the middle there when she entered where I was like, where are you going with this? It is making me uncomfortable. But yeah. uh, but I, I think it completely redeems itself by the end of it. Um, so... Yeah, it kind of kind of takes on like a you were never really here. Uh, it's exactly what I was too. thinking of. I, w- I, th- I had that thought in my head several times. Like Joaquin Phoenix could play Billy Summers. Totally, <laughs> totally. Maybe we'll just reprise his character and finds another girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just keep latching IP onto this to make it. Uh, well, the <laughs> well, the New York Times was less crazy about uh, the Alice character, and in their wildly spoiler-filled review. Um, I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this, you probably read it, so it's not a bother. But, like, man, this review spoils, like, major things throughout the entire book. I was very shocked by it. Um, But, but yeah, they say, aside from the creaky coincidence, there's something at once prudish and purient about the ensuing relationship that's hard to take. Post-Me Too, the conventional sexual dynamics of the pairing obviously wouldn't work, and King tries hard to square them with those of our own moment, keeping things chaste while also keeping sex very much to the fore. That these significant flaws don't totally derail the book is a testament to its author's undimmed energy and confidence. His eye for detail, especially at the dreckier and... uh. Uh, of roadside culture is sharp enough to keep the long car rides that crisscross the novel lively and vivid. And he remains in possession of a seemingly effort effortless verbal flow that surges on over bumps and banalities in the storyline without letting up. So still mostly a positive review, but they were less uh, hot on the Alice action. I it just, <laughs> well, why do you put it that way? <laughs> my, my, my problem is like it, it, the idea of him like not acknowledging the fact that there would be sexual attention of some sort is it, it feels facetious to me because especially if he looks like Jake Gyllenhaal yeah like if you're hey. imagining these you know two mildly attractive people they're in these situations together they're literally st- locked together 
the idea of some sort of sexual connection, like at least is going, you at least have to contend with it. I don't think yeah. he goes all in on it all the time. And I think there's actually some really honest depictions about it. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I disagree with this. I, I feel like to, to totally disregard that just seems so fake to me. Well, like, well, yeah. And that's why I think it redeems itself because they, they re- he really goes out of his way to acknowledge it. Even yeah. with Alice, there's like a moment where she he like kisses her on the cheek and she kisses him on the lips and says, like, you may think of me as a daughter, but my feelings for you are not daughterly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, and I just flashed me back so hard to being like 20 and having like a huge boner for an older dude, you know, and, like, and then like looking back on it and being like, well, that would have been horrible and inappropriate. I'm glad that didn't happen. I feel like it was a pretty honest depiction of of those things but there, there are a few moments where i don't think he totally nails it and there's like and i flagged them in my oh quotes yeah, yeah and what have you definitely. but but overall i think he does a good job and i think you're completely right like if he didn't acknowledge that tension it would just be weird like that's not how people behave <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i really i loved most of the alice inclusion i have a big problem with it that i'll save for misery but um i felt like it was a really kind of honest reflection of what would happen in that situation um i also think it's a good representation of like hey guys you can exist near a woman and just give her the support she needs Mm -hmm. without like hitting on her all the time you know and i I really (laughs) i appreciated that you know like he doesn't need anything from her and he's just there for the kind of support she needs and that was just felt really like comforting you know now i was uncomfortable because i was really nervous about (laughs) what was gonna happen on the next page you know but i feel like yeah i and there's i don't know i have an issue i think with what does eventually happen to her attackers which we might save for later but I think yeah, a lot we of can, the issues. We can talk about yeah. that later. <laughs> yeah. Know. But the issue I have with that is not necessarily about the story. It's kind of about like what I what I would want. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like I remember reading yeah. that and just having a lot of feelings the next day about what I did want the story to be and not really knowing, you mm-hmm. know? And mm-hmm. I think yeah. there's a big theme of like forgiveness in this book too, which I think is interesting and it kind mm-hmm. of plays into that, you know. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories, if you're brave enough. (laughs) 